Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, which is three quarters of the way, well, a little farther than that. In a paper Bible, you can use a device if you're looking it up. Um, there you'll find the um, parable of what's typically known as the prodigal son. You find it'll probably be a little title there, parable of the prodigal son. I'm going to begin with an opening thought that I think we can all get on board with, and it is the idea that a good dad sets the stage for a better life. A good dad sets the stage for a better life. Now, right out of the chute, I don't want to be offensive or disappointing to those of us who had no father figure. If you're like, oh yeah, thanks a lot for starting that, I didn't have. I think even for those of us who didn't have a father figure, most of us pretty easily wish we had had a father figure. Does that make sense? Huge numbers of our culture haven't had a father figure at all or didn't have a very good one. But I think even those experiences make us wish we had had a a good father experience. Uh, I think those of us that had a dad, we can typically think of good father experiences, and we know that's impacted our life, right? The idea is a good dad, a good dad would be good to have, right? There's some statistics that actually uh, support practical, helpful things that happen if we have an active, uh, involved father. This is from an article, A Father's Impact on Child Development. And high father involvement is connected to, this first one was interesting to me, positive child health outcomes in infants, such as improved weight gain in preterm infants. Even little preterm babies, it's helpful to have a father activity there. High father involvement creates uh, better emotional, academic, social, and behavioral outcomes for children. An involved father makes us 43% more likely to earn A's. My dad should have been more involved in my life. In school, 33% less likely to repeat a grade. Father involvement makes us twice as likely to enter college or find suitable and stable employment after high school. And uh, father involvement makes us half as likely to experience multiple depression symptoms. The idea is just it's a, a good dad sets the stage for a better life. Is it any wonder then, if you know not much about Jesus, that one of the big messages of Christ was the availability of a father in heaven? A father in heaven. In Luke 11, Jesus is teaching what we know, some of us know as the Lord's Prayer. And it says, pray our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In Romans 8, it says to uh, those of us that know Jesus, the spirit you received brought about your 
adoption to sonship. I would include in that, you know, a daughtership. Is daughtership a word? Daughterness. <laughs> right? We get adopted into the family and God is our father. It goes on to say, and by him we get to, we get to call him Abba, Father. Jesus, in just the Gospel of John, calls God Father 156 times just in the Gospel of John. I didn't know that. In my Bible, that's about 5.2 times per page. He talked to or called, referenced God as Father. That's a lot. So here's a question. What kind of Father is he? Hold that thought. This summer we're in a series called Kingdom Stories and we're exploring parables. And uh, today we're going to look at a parable, a teaching story that will give us some insight into what the Father God is like. And like I said, uh, this is typically known as the parable of the prodigal son, but you could just as easily call it the parable of the good father. And so... Uh, usually I give context for the Bible text, and um, basically Jesus is in the middle of telling a bunch of stories to help us know what God's like and what the kingdom of heaven is like, and he, in verse 11, says this story to teach us. Luke 15, 11. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, the father, divided his property between them, his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Pause. What comes to your mind when you think of wild living? So whatever you're thinking, he probably did some of that. Right? So this is, by the way, I pause there so that we don't just rush through the story. This is a season. This wasn't just a day. He's like, okay, and then there was the wild living. Whatever you just thought of, maybe he did that. For some of you goody-goodies, he did something way worse than what you thought. <laughs> After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. <clears throat> he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Pause. So that's the situation he's been in for a while, right? Things go bad, things go south, he runs out of money, he's hungry. He's so hungry, he's thinking, I, maybe I could eat the pig food. Not a good situation. <clears throat> Verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants 
have food to spare, and here I am starving to death, exclamation point. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Title of the talk this weekend is Portrait of a Great Dad. And I think there are, there are probably 8, 10, 12 different characteristics we could talk about this, in this picture of, a, of the father. But I want to focus on two things. Uh, by the way, this is important. How we perceive God as our Father really can drive a lot of our decisions, a lot of the way we respond to God. And so I'm just going to pray that God will help us see who he is. So let's pray. Father, <clears throat> oh boy, will you be our teacher? Uh, most of us, even right now, we just open ourselves up to your voice. If I just stand up here and talk, that might be okay. But if you'll talk to us and bring clarity, that'll be awesome. So will you please turn up the volume of your voice, help us see who you are even better today. In Jesus' name, amen. Two ideas that I want to focus on today, and, and they're characteristics of the prodigal's father. And the first one is this. The prodigal's father is extremely generous. And I thought about saying, you know, unusually generous or strangely generous, but it's really noteworthy in verse 12 when the younger son comes to the father and says, Dad, father, give me my share of the estate. We're going to explore that thing we're going to emphasize is the dad actually does it. Right, did you think about that? The, the young guy goes to the dad. He knows that his father's been diligent and has some resources and probably owns some land or some, the house and some cows and worth some money. And so he says, dad, I want my inheritance. He knows he's got an inheritance in his future. He says, dad, I want my inheritance now. And this is the crazy thing, right? And the dad says, okay, what are we talking about here? Are you kidding me? By the way, I have a 22-year-old good kid. But if my son Isaac came to me and said, hey, dad, like he did it this afternoon, it's Father's Day, right? So maybe like we'd be sitting around, he'd be like, happy Father's Day, dad, yeah, can I talk to you about something? Sure, what's up? I know you and mom, you know, you've been working, you work pretty hard, I know you're, you know, you got a savings account and stuff. Some of your stuff's paid off. 
Someday, right? I'm going to get an inheritance, so how about just giving it to me now? I've been practicing my response. You know what it would be? <laughs> something, I mean, something like that. Like, what are you talking about, son? Somewhere in here, this father is something. So I was thinking, well, why would I not do that if my son or if one of my daughters came and said, hey, Dad, why would I not do that? Well, there's a couple reasons. One, for me, I would say, because that's not your money yet. Maybe it'll be there when, but it's, it's not your money yet. You know, the other reason that I wouldn't do it is because I'm not so sure that would be helpful to have a 22-year-old get a, a, a lump sum of money early. Do you see what I mean? So I would be more protective of that. And so this idea of this father in the story, by the way, this is how God is. It is a parable to teach us about God. So I was thinking of this idea of him being this almost recklessly generous. And there were two uh, observations that I think are worth noting. Because God does not operate like we operate. Okay? How many of you know this is not what we would do, generally speaking? So here is the two ideas. The first one you may want to write down. God is not as controlling as we are or as we tend to be. God is not as controlling of his resources and his stuff as we are. And this doesn't fit perfectly in the point, but I want to bring a challenge here because this is how God works. Sometimes we wish... God was more controlling, and he would keep the doors closed on opportunities that will hurt us. God gives us an incredible, an incredible amount of freedom, folks. The, the father here knew the temptations and the challenge that this son had. He knew his strengths, his weaknesses. When this father gave him his, inher his inheritance, he knew darn well this is probably not going to work out well. Can you give me a head nod? Like that's, he probably, he knew this is, and yet he gave him enough freedom to go mess up this season of his life. So if we're wise, we need to remember, not every open door is a door that, that we should go through. Can I get a amen? Just because, well, look, an open door. So-and-so wants me to be a drug dealer. Well, sure. Or, or look over here. This looks like just because that wasn't a great example. Sorry about the drug dealer thing. But, but you know, you, you just stumble. We'll just stay with the drug dealer thing. You stumble on a field of marijuana. Well, praise the Lord, an open door. That's stupid. And don't confuse an open door with, with God. Sometimes... You wish God would not open. There are doors open all over the place, folks, that we have, if we're wise, no business going through. But don't depend on God to close the stupid doors. Some of it is just up to us. He'll let you do the dumbest things. How many of you have done some things in your life? Super stupid, really painful, never should have gone there. Well, why didn't God stop me? Because that's the kind of God, generally speaking, that he is. Sorry. So that puts some responsibility on us for our decision. 
God's not as controlling as we are. This, the other idea, this was kind of new to me. It has to do with the generosity of God. God has no fear of limited resources. Part of the reason that I wouldn't give my son or my daughters an inheritance now is because I've only got so much. And I'm not sure I want to, right? God, does, God never has a feeling of, well, what if I lose this bit and, and I run out? God never thinks, well, what if I run out of love? What, what if I run out of stuff? What if I run out of energy? What if I run out of? He just doesn't, that is not in his Father, God, Creator experience. In Psalm 50, it describes God as, he, he's talking to his people about uh, sacrifices for him. And he doesn't need their sacrifice. He, he says, I have every animal of the forest is mine. I own, a, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. The whole world is mine. I got plenty. I'm not worried about running out. If he needed more of whatever, he could just speak it into existence because he's God. God is the only being who can create something out of nothing. If you read in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, first chapter of the Bible, when he created everything, all he had to do was speak. He just said, let there be light. So if God needs more of whatever, he can just say, let there be, and it's just there. What a different perspective. But it lends itself to his generosity. One of the uh, verses that help, helps me understand God's generosity, uh, I think more than any, this is the first verse that came to my mind, is in Matthew 5.46, where it says, the context is he's challenging us to be more generous and be more like God. But, and he says, he, God, he causes his son, the sun, the big yellow bright thing that we've seen a lot of lately here in Indiana, which has been kind of fun, Right, He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain, and this picture is a positive. He sends rain on your garden, whether you're righteous or you're unrighteous. He has this general, generous posture toward his creation. You know, today, maybe not today. Is it supposed to get... Cloudy today? Did somebody? Okay, it's supposed to get cloudy today. Yesterday, because it was sunny like all day yesterday. Did you know yesterday at some lake somewhere near close, there was, there was a person, I'm just counting on this, there was a person out enjoying, they were tanning. Today they are golden brown beautiful. And they went out yesterday, and God was just fine with them soaking up his son. They, they're, a, they're a bronze god goddessy today. And, and they had, they've, never, they've never honored God. They, dis, they disregard God. They are not a follower of Jesus. They would say God doesn't even exist. They may be Does that make sense? And yet yesterday, God did not say, no son for you. Until you start, that's not how he is. He is just this way generous God. Hmm. By the way, that will not last forever. Ultimately, at the end of time, those like, but we just live in this season where God's way more generous than we we deserve than anybody oftentimes deserves. So here's the idea. 
Fill in the blank. God is not a stingy steward of his resources. He's just generous. I had a picture come to my mind. Uh, it's kind of fuzzy, but I remember as a child, I think it was probably like an uncle at family reunion or something, my grandpa, and he would, he would put uh, a quarter in his hand, and then he would extend it out to the cousins and basically say, if you can get the quarter out of my hand, you can have it. Now, this is back in the day, this is back, you know, in the 1800s, when a quarter would actually buy you something. Like, you could get, like, a candy bar or two or three. You could buy a house for a quarter back when I was a kid. But I still remember me trying to pry open the hand and watching kids, like, you know, they're just trying to rip the hand off, all that stuff. And here's the idea. That is totally not the picture of God. God is not a, I will only give it to you if you'll rip it out of my hand. It's not, it's not the picture we have in this story or multiple stories. If you want to think of another reason, the, 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 go to the cross. Jesus Christ died, shed more than enough blood for the sins of every person in the whole world, even though there will be countless people who never receive his grace because they will deny him the rest of their life, but he still paid the price for them even though they'll never know him. He's a generous God. A couple practical things for us, this idea of a generous God. The first thing is I should appreciate him more. I should be more grateful for his generosity. The second one is, uh, it was a question for me, am I asking enough of him? He's generous. I should probably ask him more for I don't know. Especially if you're a child of God, been forgiven in relationship. I should ask him for more peace or help or stuff or friends or relational, emotional. We should just be asking him. The prodigal's father was extremely generous. The other idea is the prodigal's father is enthusiastically compassionate enthusiastically compassionate. I would say enthusiastically from verse 20 where the sun is still a long ways off and we're going to imagine this. The sun's out there somewhere. The father notices him and when he sees him it says he's filled with compassion for him and for me it's he ran to his son. Right? And then he he throws his arms around him and kissed him. So let's try to imagine what that might be like. Uh, I've known of this parable, gosh, probably most of my life. Even before I became a Christian, I had heard of this story. And I have imagined this part of the story this way. And it may not be the way you imagine it, but uh, it, it might be helpful. Reminder, this father has probably been without his son now for years. For sure months, but for years. The last time he knew of his son was when his son was taking his wealth. <laughs> I just am sure the father is thinking, this is not going to be good, right? His son leaves, and now, by the way, there's no email. There's no Facebook post. He can't follow his son on Twitter. There's no cell phone service. That likely he has heard, you know what he's heard about the condition of his son for the last year? 
probably closer to three years, five years, eight years. You know what he knows about what's happened? He knows nothing. He doesn't know whether he's alive, whether he's dead, whether it worked out, whether he's in need, whether he's in prison. He doesn't know any of that stuff. So as a father, I'm sure there have been hundreds and hundreds of times that that dad has wondered and hoped and prayed. Where is he? I wonder how he is. Gosh, I wish he would come home if he's still alive. That's, I just think we're safe to assume that. And then on this day, I picture him toward the end of the day thinking, I guess I'll go work in the field a little bit more. So this is the way I picture the father. He's just out. It's just a normal day. And he's hoeing garden stuff. And then out of the corner of his eye, he sees someone, and by the way, he's probably, this has happened dozens of times, where he sees somebody and goes, oh. And as a dad, he'd go, in a split second, he would assess, is that my, is that my son? What do you want to call him? Butch. Is that Butch? Or what, is that some bad, what do you want to call him? Matt, what are we going to call him? Somebody said Ralph. Did somebody say Ralph? Okay. Huh? Ralph. Okay, we're just Ralph. So he looks at him and he's, it's Ralph. his name's Ralph. In the Greek, in the original language of the text, it means Ralph. Okay. But that father would know his name. By the way, side note, I just for this service, you know God knows your name. You are not just a son. You are not just a daughter. You are. So, father would look again with, I think, a tender heart. Gosh, wouldn't it be great if that was Ralph? And then this day would have been unlike the dozens or hundreds of other times. Three things would have come to the Father's mind. First one would have been this. It's him. He would have known by the way he walked, or he would have gone, but that's, that's Ralphie. That is Ralph. That's Ralph. Second thing he would have noticed, he doesn't look good. He hasn't been eaten, apparently because he gives him sandals and a cloak. And gosh, Ralph looks really average. He just would have known like, oh man, that's Ralph. And then here's what I think the third thought. I don't know if he would have thought through it or whatever. He would have just done it. He would have, in his brain, his body would have said, I am running to that boy. He just would have taken, he would have, maybe he would have started slow, but it wouldn't have been time at all for dad, like, he's like right, ready to pull a hamstring, because he's at a full sprint, who knows how old he was, maybe he hasn't run in years, but he sees his son, and he will not be stopped, and he can't wait to get there. He runs after this kid, runs to him throws his arms around him. He doesn't just do this thing. You know, I just, he's like tackled him. I wonder if he knocked him down. Like, he's so glad to see him. In that imagery, do you feel the urgency and the compassion? You know, one of the things I don't feel, I don't feel any judgment. He is not running. There's no indication in the scripture. He's not running out there to confront him. 
He's not running out there. The first question is not, what'd you do with the money? He's not running out there. In fact, I would argue that, that he, he has very little interest in what he has been doing or what happened yesterday or what happened two years ago. He's just pumped out of his head because his son is coming home. And if you want more evidence of that, in verse 21, the son starts to share his, will you please forgive me, father, speech? We can put it up on the screen. He does. He has a prepared speech, right? You can look at it. He's already prepared it before in the text. He says, the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't even get to the part where he says, Will you please make me like one of your hired hand? The father doesn't even listen to the rest of his speech. His father just, there's this big but in there. But the father said, he just changes the conversation. But to the servants, servants, guys, go. And what's he say? Bring the best robe. Get this guy a robe. Put, him, put it on and put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. And he goes on. We're going to have a party. Here's this important theological understanding of your father in heaven. You ready? When we are coming home, you can write this down. If you don't write it down, remember it. When we're coming home, God isn't very interested in where we've been. Doesn't care. By the way, he's the God of the universe. He already knows. He knew every dumb thing, sinful, horrible, painful thing that this kid did. And he's running out there because the kid's coming home. I want to share in here just this, the, one of the more simple descriptions of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus come to the earth? Why did he die on the cross? What is this opportunity we have? Why do we come to church? Why do we worship God? Why do we become a Christian? You know what, you know what becoming a Christian is? It's coming home. That's what it is. We whether it's intentional or greed or sinful or whatever it is, we in our arrogance, we end up saying, I want to do it my way. I don't want to have my father's rules. I don't want this, so I'm just going to go do my own thing. And becoming a Christian is the moment in time where you're out there and you have a revelation, maybe because of pain in your life, or maybe just a revelation, and you think, what am I doing? Why am I away from my Father in heaven? And you just go, I'm going to go home. That's the gospel. Isn't that a simple idea? That's what Jesus died on the cross so that we could do, so that the door would be wide open, so that if we go, I want to go home, then the Father just says, come on back. And the, one, the fun idea in the text, it's the last thing that we'll 
write down is when we turn toward God, the Father runs toward us. So, I'm going to finish our time with an opportunity to come home to God. We, we have a slide that just says, come home. I think it says, come home to God. Can we put it up there? With as much as in me, I just want to urge anyone who's listening online or here, if you're away from God, don't be. Just come home to God. Could be the first time you've ever understood, oh, that's what being a Christian is, or that's the opportunity. Maybe you're, you've committed your life to Christ multiple times, but you've realized the last three weeks, like, or the last three months, you're like, I've been away, and, and I should go home. And so, right now, I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to close. But if you feel an urgency in your heart that today's a day, and we've had uh, people in every service that God just kind of tapped on the shoulder and invited them, come home. If that's you following the service, just come up over here, and uh, I'm just going to pray a blessing on your relationship with God. And by the way, you don't, you don't have to run up here. All you have to do is turn that direction and walk. But I have to think somehow in the spiritual realm, God like sprints toward those people still. So if that's you, don't miss a great opportunity to just come home and reconnect with your Father in heaven. There'll be opportunities for prayer for any other personal reason over here on your right side. Because uh, we have a God who's generous and he likes to be helpful. So let's close. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.